Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm Bronwyn Maddox. I'm director of the Institute. Delighted to have you here for this conversation with Adrian O'Neill, the Irish ambassador, started a few months ago in the, in the post at what could not be a more lively time. Apologies, we're starting a few minutes late. We will run on by uh, that time, so we've got the full hour. As Apologies. I said... Sorry? I forgot to do the essential thing, turn off the phone, sorry. Yes, that's right, we're being, heck being heckled by ourselves up here. Um, I know there are going to be a lot of questions, but we're going to plunge into uh, conversation and uh, then you can pick up the points that you feel we may have missed. Um, Adrian, thank you very much indeed for coming. Nice to see you again after 20 years. We met in Washington at what uh, seemed more peaceful times in the uh, Clinton administration before, before everything, it feels like. Um, let's start with where we are now, in fact, where we are since yesterday. What happened from your point of view? Well, I think what happened was, I mean, I'm not a... I'm not a member of the core negotiating team, so I can't I mean, kind of give you a detailed chronology in terms of uh, uh, in terms of, of everything that happened. But I mean, I think as the Taoiseach outlined, I think yesterday, uh, particularly over recent days, there have been an intensification in the discussions and the negotiations uh, involving the UK government, the Commission Task Force, and Ireland. Um, there was a text uh, specifically on the Ireland, Northern Ireland issues, which was being shared and discussed uh, between uh, the three sides. Uh, a good deal of progress had been made on that text. Uh, there still, I think, remained a couple of outstanding issues on Sunday, um, uh, uh, but a cabinet meeting uh, was called in Dublin on Monday morning to basically to look at the text uh, with a view to getting the approval of the Irish government. Uh, uh, that was uh, secured and I think as the Taoiseach indicated then after, after that meeting yesterday he got a call from President Juncker uh, and uh, President Tusk to confirm that uh, UK agreement and that basically it was, it was full steam ahead. Uh, and, and you understood by this that the DUP was on side at that point, or presumed? Well, I mean, this was a negotiation. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's involving two mm. governments and, and, and the Commission Task Force. Mm. Uh, you know, from, from the Irish government's point of view, you know, the, 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 you know we, were, we were dealing with, 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 with the UK government and, and with the Commission. Uh, I don't know to what extent the, the DUP was kept briefed on, on in relation to developments. I mean, that, that's obviously a matter for the UK yeah. government rather than yeah. the Irish government. Yeah. All right. Um, what, from the Irish government's point of view, is the absolute essential as far as that border is concerned? Well, uh, as you probably know, Bronwyn, I mean, at the moment we have, you know, an open and invisible yeah. border on the yeah. island of Ireland. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a consequence of two things. Number one, the achievement of the, of the single market about 1992 where yeah. the customs posts disappeared uh, and then subsequently as a result of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 the security installations that had been, mm. that had been there, uh, the border posts and so on, they also were dismantled. So I mean currently if you, know, you can get into your car in Dublin and within mm. two hours you're in Belfast and you won't even know when you're crossing the border. Um, the only thing that will probably indicate that you have crossed the border is that the signs change from kilometres mm. uh, to miles. Uh, other than that, Very it's an open, yes. yeah, open, yep. open and visible border. And that has been a, a huge enabler of the progress that we've made over the last 20 years um, in terms of bringing communities together, which had previously been, been literally fractured by the existence mm. of a border, who, who had kind of lived back to back each other for the first time, were actually turning towards each other so that 
You began, for example, to begin to get the development of a kind of a mini regional economy between, for example, Dundalk and Uri, mm. uh, uh, for instance. Um, and uh, it, it was a huge facilitator of normalisation of relations uh, on the island. Um, so for us, for us, basically, what this is about is about it's about maintaining the status quo. Uh, it's about m making sure that uh, we avoid uh, any hardening of the border in Ireland, um, and uh, that has been that has been the objective of the, of the Irish government going back, you know, since since the Brexit referendum, and we've been very very consistent uh, in pursuing that objective. And, 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 and so it's about yeah. it's about maintaining an open border because an open border is essential to the protection of the peace process and the Good Friday Agreement. And in, in, in your government's view, the form of words that was being used in, 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 in Brussels, uh, even though people say, look, it was shrouded with ambiguity, that was enough to keep the border open, in your view? Well, <clears throat> again, I mean, uh, look, the, the text of this document has not, been, has, not been, has not been released, so I don't want to be get, you know, get drawn into too much detail in relation to you know, what was in it or how it was mm. being expressed or, or all of that. The key, point is, the key point for us is that what was in it represented a very clear and firm commitment to maintain, uh, to avoid a hard border uh, on the island of Ireland. Um, how that was done, you know, the, the, the vehicle that is used mm. to achieve that outcome, um, you know, there were, there were the preference of the British government was that that would be achieved by way of the overall um, uh, future relationship agreement that was negotiated between the EU and the UK. Uh, I mean, if, that, if, if, if a consequence of that, of that agreement was that we do indeed deliver uh, an open and invisible border on the island of Ireland, well, then the Irish government will absolutely be delighted uh, with, that, with that outcome. Um, but what we needed to secure was uh, a commitment that in all eventualities, howsoever it is done, we maintain an open and invisible border. There's an absolute mm. commitment to an open and invisible mm. border on the island of Ireland. Um, and if, if it's kind of achieved through Route 1, i.e. that wider agreement between the EU and the UK, um, uh, you know, we, we'll, 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 we'll be one of the first to, uh, to, be, to, to applaud because, of course, that also has benefits for us in terms of the wider trade that there is between mm. Ireland and the UK 65 billion worth of uh, euros every year in terms of trade and goods and services across the IRC. So we have, a, we have a lot of interest in terms of securing the very best outcome in terms of the uh, future relationship negotiations. Mm. Uh, but you know, the world can see the predicament that the UK government, not just the DUP, is concerned about uh, anything that, that might treat Northern Ireland separately and uh, possibly lay the path to that becoming even more separate from the rest of the UK. How sensitive is, is, is Dublin to that? Uh, well, I think we understand that. Um, uh, we, un we understand that sensitivity. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd be quite alive to it. Um, but I suppose th the point that we would make in, is, you know, is that Northern Ireland is quite distinct in, in many ways. Uh, it's the subject of an international agreement between, between two mm. governments. Um, it's, it is in, even in terms of within the kind of uh, devolutionary settlement in the UK, it is, it is different from Scotland and Wales. There are particular mechanisms there to do with, you know, kind of mandatory power sharing, uh, to do with kind of, uh, you know, north-south arrangements, north-south institutional arrangements and so forth. Um, so, I mean, Northern Ireland is 
is in many respects different in any event. The one thing that the Irish government is very clear about is that um, you know, this is completely separate, the issue of how we manage Brexit and how we mm. get the outcomes that we need in relation to Brexit is completely separate to the constitutional question in Northern Ireland. The constitutional question is, the basis for that is the Good Friday Agreement, the principle of consent, and the question that, uh, which says that basically the constitutional status of Northern Ireland is governed, governed by the, uh, the wish of a majority. Uh, uh, and it recognises that, uh, that at the moment the wish of a majority is for to remain within the United Kingdom, but if at any stage in the future that should change, well then the British government will be, and to be tested by a border poll, the British government would legislate for such a constitutional change. Uh, so, I mean, the constitutional issue, the mechanisms and processes are there, they should be left in the context of the Good Friday Agreement, Brexit is not about that. Brexit and, and how we manage Brexit is about trying to make sure that we protect the status quo and the gains of the last 20 years. Okay, it's an honourable try to try and separate the two things, <laughs> but the, the, the fact is that uh, uh, they're, they're um, tangled at the, at the moment. I mean, the, the, the possible consequence of, of, um, of what the Irish government is, is, is arguing now and the Irish government's uh, insistence on this is that uh, the talks can't move forward to the second stage. I think it's fair to say few people foresaw uh, the Irish border having this significance at this this point and probably not when those sequencing terms were drawn up back in, in the summer, but nonetheless we are where we are and it, it has the prominence it does. Um, if we don't move forward to a second stage, there's a risk of no deal. And that's really bad for Ireland as well, isn't it? I mean, how, do, how does the Republic you know, rate those two things? The chance of no deal, talks breaking down, or this issue uh, about, the, about the border? Well, I mean, certainly a, a no deal scenario is, is would be a very bad outcome for everybody um, and would be uh, a very bad outcome for, I mean, I think for, for the UK, the European Union and indeed for Ireland and in the context of, of Northern Ireland I think would be um, probably the worst of all possible outcomes. So yes, we're very conscious that, that it would be a very bad outcome and that we would really wish to avoid. The carefully non-partisan way of the IFG, I will say I entirely agree with you, um, but it, it, it hangs there as, as, as a threat. Um, how do the politics of the EU27 play into this? Uh, this, this issue has, has suddenly risen up and uh, Ireland is, is feeling very strongly about it. Are the other countries supporting Ireland in, in, in this? Well, I mean, in the immediate aftermath of, of Brexit back in, 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 in 2016, uh, in subsequent autumn and, and over the winter, I mean, the Irish Foreign Minister at the time, who was then Charlie Flanagan, um, undertook mm. uh, a pretty comprehensive round visit of EU capitals. Um, to set out, outline to his colleagues the, 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 the kind of unique way in which Ireland is impacted by Brexit, particularly in the context of, of Northern Ireland, the peace process, the Good Friday Agreement. Um, and, um, you know, there was an awful lot of solidarity was expressed on that occasion with the situation that we found ourselves in. And a recognition, in fact, that um, a lot of foreign ministers said to him at the time that um, you know, the issue, the, the, the Good Friday Agreement, the peace process in Northern Ireland was not just an achievement of, they saw it as not just an achievement of the, of the British and Irish governments and mm, of the political mm. parties in Northern Ireland, they also saw it as an achievement of the European Union. 
uh, and they took a lot of pride in it and they had a sense of ownership in it mm. uh, and I think because the EU itself sees itself as a kind of as a peace project mm. I think it sees mm. Northern Ireland uh, as maybe one of the kind of uh, very successful kind of peace projects that it has mentored uh, uh, and so forth so I, I think from the very beginning there was a there was a, a, a willingness and a readiness to kind of acknowledge the special situation in Northern Ireland mm. and the recognition that it would require unique, unique solutions. Um, and that has been there from the beginning. And I think you've seen that then in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the, the guidelines which the European Council adopted and uh, the Commission's negotiating mandate and so on. All of that recognition of the uniqueness uh, of Northern Ireland, the importance of the Good Friday mm. Agreement and maintain has been there from the beginning. And I have to say, I think you know that that solidarity has you know has is you know has continued and, and is continuing. It's interesting describing the EU as a as a as a, as a peace project, which, which some would. We have that picture on our wall for a reason um, over there. Uh, the um, but just sticking with European politics for a moment, how does the German coalition talks play play into this? Um, has it has it? Uh, Taken away some of the focus on the uh, the Brexit, the Brexit talks, aside from the Irish question. Um, well, not that is apparent to me from mm. from, mm. from 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 mm. from my vantage point. I, mm. I, I I I don't. I haven't detected that. I must confess. Mm. Uh, I know some of my colleagues were recently in in you know were, were recently in Berlin mm. uh, for discussions with their with with their colleagues there. And you know the message we were getting was it was a consistent message that we that we had been receiving for quite some time, uh, and, uh, in t and and as I said in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of Ireland's concern, one of, of continuing support and solidarity. Mm. And it hasn't uh, resulted in a lack of momentum or something. I mean, you know, everyone was expecting a German coalition to form, uh, and so I guess there's been simply a couple of months of absorption. But suddenly we don't have uh, anything like that certainty. Do you feel any kind of change of direction or? Um, or loss of focus uh, from the German side. Uh, I, I think, in terms of in terms of in terms of ongoing ongoing business, that you know, mm. um, in terms of the EU, I mean, I, I don't think we we detect any kind of you know loss of focus. I, I think that the business at hand is mm. is I think is continues to be managed uh, very effectively uh, 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 by our German partners. Um, I suppose the question of the, the longer term issues, the future of Europe issues, the question of you know, kind of in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, the vision of President Macron and to what degree, you know, Berlin will get behind that and, and all of that, and whether we'll see a, whether we'll see a kind of a, a, a renewed kind of Franco-German impetus for reform of the Union, etc. I think probably that won't become apparent until there is a, a new German, a new German government. So. I suppose the reform process, to a certain extent, uh, uh, may be paused uh, mm. Uh, mm. while while Germany kind of, I suppose, gets gets a new government. But in terms of the immediate issues that are on the agenda of the European Council and that need to be dealt with, I don't think there's any kind of right. any any kind of distraction and focus in Berlin yes. on those. Would be, would be my sense from here. Yes. But as I say, that's only yeah. from my vantage point. Yeah, um, I mean, Europe has a lot of things on its mind. If I can speak of it as a as a, a person, you know, there's Russia, there's immigration, there's the, the the eurozone. Where does Brexit fit into that? Well, again, I mean, I think what what, what we were um, what we've been kind of 
picking up in terms of engagement with, with various EU capitals over the last you know, six, nine months mm. is that uh, while Brexit has been all-consuming in London and indeed all-consuming in Dublin because of the disproportionate impact uh, on, on, on Ireland, not just in relation to Northern Ireland but also in terms of economically and our trade mm. relationship and so forth. Um, and we have something like 400,000 jobs on both sides of the Irish Sea are dependent on that, on that east-west trade. Um, uh, it isn't necessarily the burning issue in, 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 you mm. know, in mm. Berlin and Paris and, and other European capitals. Um, uh, for them it is some of the issues that you've been talking about mm. um, uh, and, and, the, and the longer term question of, 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 of the future of Europe. Um, and you know, maintaining maintaining EU cohesion and unity. These mm. are the absolute, mm. uh, I think, priorities. Um, uh, I mean, now that we're probably at the, at the business end of the negotiation and Brexit, obviously it goes up. It goes it goes up the agenda mm. Uh, mm. Um, in the run up to the European Council. Um, uh, but I would say that it's not necessarily strategically seen as I would say the most uh, pressing mm. challenge. Um, mm. Because, because I think in, in those countries, people accept that the UK has made its decision and you know and and uh, and it's leaving. And while that's regrettable, um, uh, I think in a certain sense, in a lot of capitals, I think they're saying, well, we you know we have to move on now and, and, and look to other challenges. One of our researchers in Brussels at the moment for meetings has described a kind of insouciant uh, irritation, as he put it, with uh, the focus that people are demand uh, you know have to. Uh, spend on Brexit and they'd rather be thinking about other things. Um, if, the, if this UK government uh, remains the, the government and if it sticks to its position that the single market is, uh, is off the table, um, we're left with either something like a Canadian tr free trade deal or possibly, as Britain wants, something, something in the middle between that and the Norway option. What does that look like from Ireland's point of view? Well... <coughs> Again, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to start anticipating, you know, mm. kind of future negotiations. It'd, it'd be good to get mm. through phase one first, and then we can start worrying about. Uh, we could then start worrying about phase two. And I think, in any event, the British government itself has, you know, has got to make its mind up in terms of exactly what what kind of, you know, uh, future relationship it it, it, it it aspires to have. Um, and that's probably the first thing. Um, but what I would say, in just very general terms, uh, is um, in when we get to, I mean, when we get to phase two, and, and the Irish government is keen to get to phase two because we have a lot of skin mm. in that game too, as I, mm. as I mentioned. Mm. Um, uh, when we get to phase two, obviously Ireland will still be very much on the EU side of the table. We would be part mm. of the EU twenty-seven. We'll be on that say, part of, of the negotiating table. But I mean, we, we we will very much share the vision of the British government, which is to get to get to the kind of the closest possible economic relationship that we can that we can have between between the EU and the UK because the closer that relationship is between the EU and the UK you know the 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 easier it is to maintain a very close bilateral relationship between mm. Ireland and the UK mm. and obviously in the last 20 years there has been huge improvement mm. uh, uh, in in that relationship across all sectors, mm. uh, you know, kind of economically, socially, politically, culturally, uh, mm. and so forth. Uh, and that is a huge strategic interest for us, mm. uh, and we want to maintain that. So the, so the closer that the, the, the overarching relationship is between the EU and the UK, the closer we can keep the bilateral relationship too. Mm. Are you having talks with UK officials about the possibility of no deal? Um, 
No, uh, not really. I mean, you know, in conversations that one has, you know, kind of uh, on the margins of events and so on and things like that, you know, yeah. we're, we're having those kind of conversations, I suppose, all the time. And I mean, you know, and where I suppose speculatively talk, people might talk about particular scenarios yeah. that yeah. might yeah. that might occur and, you know, uh, you know, how how appalling the vista would be if uh, if that if that if that if that was the the scenario at least from, at least from our point of view you know uh, etc which I think is kind of you know pretty widely shared here as well I mean that's I don't think that really is in terms of policymakers and so forth I don't I don't know if that's anyone's preference. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What effect does the lack of a government in Stormont have on us? Well, I mean, I think it is, I think it has been, it, 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 it certainly hasn't helped matters that for the last year we've had a, we've had a vacuum mm. Uh, mm. in terms of the institutions in Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, because it was the case back in 2016, uh, after the referendum, while Sinn Féin and the DUP were on different sides of the argument in terms of the, of the, the referendum campaign, and are diametrically opposed to each other on, on the principle of, of, of Brexit. Uh, after, the, after, the, uh, after the result, um, there were some encouraging signs that Sinn Féin and the DUP in government were, were willing to work together in terms of identifying some common ground uh, that they could work together on, identify some what they, what they both recognised as challenges that would emerge from Brexit uh, and how they would tackle those challenges and how they, uh, in cooperation both with the British government uh, mm. and with the Irish government. Uh, there was a letter, for example, that I think the then First Minister and Deputy First Minister sent to the Prime Minister back in August, where they identified, August of, last, of 2016, where they identified a number of issues where basically they, that you know, there were specific challenges mm. and, and particular solutions needed to be worked out. Um, in a meeting of the North-South Ministerial Council, which is one of the institutions mm. of the Good Friday Agreement, which took place in November of 2016, both the Irish government and the then Northern Ireland executive actually agreed a number of common principles, shared mm. principles that would govern how they would cooperate together in addressing the challenge, the challenge of Brexit. So, uh, and and I think if the institutions had been in place for the year to continue, had continued on, there would have been, we would have been able to be, continue a dialogue with the Northern Ireland executive containing all the parties, which would have been maybe helpful in trying to move things forward um, and that might have been a better move, move things forward in what way well I think that we would have had uh, in terms of defining what was uh, a, 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 an acceptable strategy or a strategy that everyone could sign up to uh, mm. in terms of managing the fallout of brexit we could mm. have done that in a way that was kind of kind of you know that we, we there was an opportunity for kind of a tri a trilateral dialogue with London Dublin and Belfast that might have that, that I think would have assisted us uh, in terms of moving forward collectively um, uh, and perhaps avoided, perhaps avoided what happened yesterday. Mm. You see any outcome for Ireland that is as good as Britain remaining in the EU? Any as, as good as... Uh, 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 no, quite frankly. <laughs> um, uh, don't. I mean... I mean, for, for, I mean, you know, one, one, I mean, one kind. Well, look, two things strike me apart from all the issues that we've been talking about, um, which are which are which are kind of downsides for Ireland. One is that Ireland and the UK have been, in terms of within the EU, have have been very like-minded uh, on many on many on many policies. Mm. 
uh, for example, in relation to the single market, mm -hmm. uh, where Ireland and the UK, I mean, the UK has been the great champion of the single market in the European mm -hmm. Union, which is so steeply ironic that uh, we find ourselves where we find now that the single market is, 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 is something here which people wish to disentangle themselves from mm -hmm. because, of course, it was the UK's biggest mm -hmm. achievement mm -hmm. within, within the EU. But in any event, um, Ireland and the UK uh, were very like-minded on the single market and, 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 mm -hmm. and, and expanding it and all of that, uh, etc. And, you know, the EU without the UK is going to be a very different kind of EU mm -hmm. and that will mm -hmm. present challenges for, uh, for us uh, in terms of a number of a very obvious ally, like-minded like policies will no longer be In terms be there. of shaping the character of the EU absolutely. going forward. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And shape and, and, and the balance of yeah. interests. Yeah. Uh, as well as the immediate impact on trade and so yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, will, that will require us, therefore, to be, you know, uh, be more nimble and agile in developing, in developing you know, kind of, uh, new alliances and so mm. forth to try, and, to try and fill that gap. Another consequence will be, as well, is that, of course, uh, the EU and the fact that that, you know, that the UK was in the EU meant that probably every day in the week in Brussels you had British and Irish ministers and officials meeting, meeting each other, uh, you know, formally in meetings, on the margins. Mm. Um, and that was hugely helpful in terms of developing uh, relationships and developing the, bi in the bilateral relations because the, the funny thing was that Ireland and the UK, we, were, we, we became partners in the EU before mm. we became partners in peace in Northern mm. Ireland, uh, and it was it was a lot it was a lot of that contact, uh, you know, in the 1970s and the 1980s. Firstly, in Brussels, at that level, informal to ministers and officials, was the was the beginning of developing a basis of, mm. of trust uh, between uh, between those ministers that we then translated into then working together. Uh, uh, on the peace process and mm. subsequent Anglo-Irish agreement, mm. Good Friday Agreement, mm. etc. Mm. And finally, before we go to questions, can you just take us back to the peace process? And you know, 20 years is both um, a long time and, and almost nothing yeah. in, the, in the way of uh, these conflicts and the memory of them. And, and for those people here, uh, and those not in this room, you, you know, whom perhaps the conflict isn't so vivid, you know, I wonder if you could just take us into you know, what's been achieved in 20 years, but also what it is that remains so vulnerable about that. Well, I mean, just for instance, I mean, when I joined the Department of Foreign Affairs back in 1983, mm. um, at the time, you know, none of our colleagues who were working in Anglo-Irish matters, working in Northern Ireland, uh, had any relationships with people in any of the Unionist parties, because basically the Unionist party would simply not talk to us. Mm. Um, uh, and there was, there, was, there, was, there was no relationship at all. Um, and um, uh, and of course, likewise, uh, uh, we uh, we weren't talking to uh, Sinn Féin because Sinn Féin at the time was closely associated with the IRA, and it was therefore not acceptable to uh, for, for the government to anyway engage or, uh, with with, uh, with Sinn Féin. So, simply in terms of kind of the in terms of relationships, mm. uh, you know, if you're trying to chart political political progress, you know find a basis for peace and you can't even talk to people, um, well then it's not, you know, it's not a particularly conducive uh, uh, context. So I'd say that, I'd say that one of the transformation has been, is, is that transformation is that, you know, even though now, you know, we're maybe 
is a moment of bit of bit of tension and and, and strain, perhaps with, with the DUP. Um, uh, actually, uh, we have developed very very good relationships uh, uh, with the DUP, mm. um, and in fact, you know, in, in a previous life, back in the early noughties, um, after the DUP became the largest political party in Northern Ireland, and they still weren't talking to the Irish government then mm. at that point. Um, uh, I mean, I was involved in some of the very early contacts. In fact, the, the very first meeting between the formal meeting between the DUP and the Irish government took for, took place uh, in the Irish Embassy in London in, in 2004. Uh, and because that was the DUP at the time were more comfortable meeting the then Taoiseach in London rather than Dublin, so so the so the meeting so the meeting took place. Um, so just I think even just the transformation, the fact that the fact that we can you know we can have conversations, we can have discussions. With all of the parties, um, that it's a much more inclusive process. Um, that yes, there are there are there, there are there are moments of tension and, and, and some setbacks, mm. but the process, nonetheless, is is robust enough to kind of keep keep moving forward, mm. um, and that and that the relationships are there that at least allow people at least allow dialogue to continue. Mm. All right. So the achievement on the relationships, mm. but there's still vulnerabilities there, which is why the border is so. Sensitive an issue. Uh, yes, I mean, yeah. There, I mean, there is. The, the fact is, the fact is that um, you know, at 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 a, at a political level, we, we a good deal of progress has been made. Um, but in in communities on the ground, mm -hmm. relationships can still be can still be can, can still be quite fragile. Um, I think the job of the job of reconciliation in Northern Ireland. Was always going to be a matter of generations, mm. not just not just not just a few years, um, and uh, you know, and I think one of the one of the uh, one of the dangers, I suppose, at the moment is that the political vacuum in Northern Ireland. That the longer the institutions are down, uh, I think the greater the polarisation that mm. you'll, you'll have in communities. Because, I mean, Stormont, when the institutions are working and Stormont is are, is up and running, despite you know. Whatever criticisms people may, might have about, you know, what it's delivering and all of that, it still represents a, the focal point for mm. cross-community engagement and dialogue and discussion. Uh, absent, mm. absent Stormont, absent mm. the devolved institutions, I mean, the, the communities kind of go back into their, mm. uh, into their respective shells, and, th and that's not good for, for, mm. you know, for reconciliation and long-term relationships on the ground. Thank you for that. Thanks very much indeed. Questions? There are lots, right uh, here in the. Maddie, thanks. Um, James Landau, BBC. Um, Ambassador, can you tell me what the phrase regulatory alignment means to you? Uh, and how does it differ from membership of the customs union and single market? And under the deal, did it apply just to Northern Ireland or the whole of the United Kingdom? Um, and secondly, if I may, um, why did the Irish government believe that the deal would have been acceptable to the DUP? Well, I, I mean, I can't, I can't, uh, let, me, let me take the second question first. Uh, in relation to why do we believe it acceptable to DUP, um, I, I think that wasn't a germane issue for us. I mean, you know, we, I don't think we were necessarily making any assumptions one way or another about the degree uh, to which, uh, you know, the DUP were 
you know, consulted or not consulted or, or fully on board. I mean, this is, you know, this is, this is a, a process involving negotiations between Commission Task Force, uh, uh, primarily between the Commission Task Force and the UK, uh, with the Irish government also involved uh, uh, in terms, because obviously the Commission Task Force need, need some guidance from the Irish government in relation to what's going to be you know, acceptable for us in relation to the Ireland and Northern Ireland issues uh, and so on. So that, so that, was, that was the access for, 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 for engagement. As I say, you know, there's a matter for the British government uh, you know, about whom they, they consulted. Uh, and uh, so I mean, the Irish government, you know, I, I don't know that we, we were necessarily asking any questions along the way, well, you know, uh, uh, about the British government, about who they're consulting. You know, we negotiated in good faith uh, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the British government uh, and the Commission. And Taoiseach also you know, accepted yesterday that the Prime Minister was negotiating in good faith as well. So, I mean, I can't really speak for the DUP or the channels of contact with the DUP. Uh, and, and the first question on re regulatory alignment. Um, well, I mean, what I, what, what I can say about that, James, and I mean, again, I don't want to be drawn on, on the document. The document hasn't been made public, and until it's been, you know, when it's made public, uh, people, people can, 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 can judge it for themselves and judge it in the round, because I think, I think perhaps what's, you know, missing out a lot of the discussion of the last 24 hours is that, you know, it, 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 the document was more than two sentences which discussed which mentioned regulatory alignment. Uh, there were other, a lot of other important things in the document as well in terms of providing assurance and reassurance uh, on the Ireland issue around the common travel area, around uh, there being no diminution in the human rights provisions of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, around the question of citizens' rights in Northern Ireland, the rights of Irish citizens as EU citizens in Northern Ireland. All those things were were, were, were mentioned as issues uh, uh, that had to be uh, protected and solutions found. Um, but uh, what I will say about regulatory alignment is that um, one of the things which has been looked at in considerable detail in terms of the discussions in Brussels between the UK government and the, and the task force has been the question of north-south cooperation and the, the famous 142 areas of north-south cooperation that were mapped out. Um, and uh, what became very clear as one looked at those areas were that so many of them, in terms of the practical areas of cooperation, uh, operated under a broader EU regulatory framework. Uh, so that, for example, cooperation in the areas of uh, watercourse management, uh, for instance, and the major watercourses that traverse the border and which involve cooperation between authorities north and south, that they operated under, for example, EU directives, and that provided the, the regulatory framework in which the two administrations were able to work together uh, in a collaborative way, uh, uh, and so on. Absent, absent that regulatory framework, there was going to be a problem. So it was, as the more we looked at this, the more it became increasingly clear that some, some mechanisms of of, of, uh, reg of regulatory alignment was going to be necessary if we were to continue all that, uh, all that, all that cooperation. Thank you. Let's go here in the middle. People in the next door room, do feel free to ask questions by the old-fashioned means of walking to the door and waving your hand. Thanks. Here in the middle. 
Thurman Bogdan or King's College London. I want to follow up the first part of James Landell's question. If there were to be some form of regulatory alignment and it would comprise the whole of the United Kingdom, not just Northern Ireland, would that inhibit the British government in seeking a trade deal with, say, the United States, which might say, well, we'd like you to relax your regulations or alter them in some important way? And I think that's, I mean, that really is, is, is a question for the UK government. I mean, I mean, I, I, I really am not in a position to kind of, to kind of, to, to, to kind of give you any, 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 any answer. I mean, we're, we're kind of jumping, we're jumping ahead into, in, into phase, into, into a lot of phase two issues, which, I mean, I mean, number one, I don't think it's appropriate that I'd answer, and number two, I think any answer I would give you would be wildly speculative on, 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 on my part. But the one point that I would like to come back to again is that in relation to yesterday's, in relation to document yesterday, um, the key, the key element in the document for the Irish government yesterday was a, an assurance, a very firm assurance, that howsoever it would be achieved, there would not be a hard border on the island of Ireland. And the document did not just see one route to that, i.e. the one that we're all, that we're all talking about, namely, um, namely uh, regulatory alignment. Uh, there were other possible routes to that as well, and one, other ones which accorded more closely with the preference of the British government. So the Irish government's position that is, if we can, if we can, achieve, it, if we can achieve that desired outcome uh, that way, that would be perfectly fine for us. But what we needed was, we needed a kind of an assurance that if that didn't work out, there would be a stopgap that would, in the context of Northern Ireland, uh, basically guarantee we would not have a hard border on the island of Ireland. Here. Um, yeah. um. Hugo Dixon at InFacts. You said that no deal would be bad for everybody. You also said that you couldn't think of any outcome that would be as good as the whole UK staying in the EU. It seems to me that what happened yesterday is that that has put up the chance of no deal, but it's also put up the chance of no Brexit happening. What could or would the Irish government be prepared to do to enhance the chances of no Brexit and reduce the chances of no deal? <laughs> You are an ambassador. Yes, indeed, exactly. Yeah, I think you probably would need the Taoiseach sitting here to answer that, to, to, uh, to answer that question. Um, but look, I mean, what, what I would say, just to come back to kind of the, the no Brexit scenario, because um, I noticed kind of like some editorials that have been written here in over you know the the last you know week or, or so were kind of accusing the Irish government of wishing to thwart Brexit and that, and that the, the, the stand that we were taking in relation to, in relation to uh, the hard border was about a wider agenda of actually thwarting Brexit. Now, I don't think we harbour those ambitions. Uh, it's certainly not what is driving policy. Um, you know, in, I mean, the, well, well, no, I mean, I think at the time, you know, the Irish government in, during the course of the referendum campaign was very clear in our position that we, we, we articulated a position that we thought that Brexit was, would be bad for, bad for the UK, bad for the EU and bad for British-Irish relations. And we articulated that view, but we said 
but of course we respect the decision of, 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 of the people of the United Kingdom and uh, and you know we, we are we are, we have respecting you know we, we do respect that decision and we have to proceed on in terms of policy making and so on in terms of contingency planning and all of that we have to proceed on the basis that brexit brexit will happen but I suppose one thing that but is clear is that the form of that Brexit uh, is is not clear. That's still up for determination, uh, and if we can use our influence to nudge that in directions which will minimise the collateral damage for Ireland, uh, and particularly minimise the risk to the peace process in Northern Ireland, well then we will we will we will we, we will exercise our influence as part of the EU 27 to to achieve that outcome. But I think we have to. On the basis, we, we you know uh, we have to respect the decision of the uh, uh, of the UK electorate, and it is only prudent to work on the basis that Brexit is going to happen and to plan accordingly. Okay. Now, next to Hugo. Could you, excuse me. Could you wave the microphone, please? Katrin Karlwitz, Deutsche Zeitung, Munich. Um, from your position, what should, what would uh, Mrs. May have to offer to Aline Forst and the DUP in order to them? saying, okay, go ahead, go back to Brussels? Uh, well, again, I, 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 I don't know um, is the answer to that. I suppose my, my, my the only thing is, is my hope is that, I mean, I, you know, from, from my own involvement in, 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 in kind of negotiations around the Irish peace process over many years, um, I know that, um, you know, on days, there are sometimes days like yesterday, um, and you know when 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 uh, something is about about to happen, uh, garbled versions get <coughs> leaked on the media. Uh, people adopt very robust positions. Everyone gets very um, worked up, and sometimes it can be very difficult to kind of de-escalate that. Uh, you know, within a couple of hours, and get people back into. Uh, uh, kind of deal making, deal making mode, and sometimes, sometimes what's needed is just everyone to step back, uh, uh, and you know to, to to calmly think about it, uh, and maybe to focus, uh, to focus on the totality of the package that's on the table. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, our our hope is that you know over the next couple of days that will be possible, that you know, that. The British government will, and the DUP will be able to re-engage in this, look at it, look at it afresh. As I said, you know, my, from my understanding of the document, there are, there were a number of things in the document there that actually should give some reassurance to people and were designed to give reassurance to people. For example, around the constitution, you know, recognizing that the constitutional status of, of Northern Ireland will solely be determined in accordance with the provisions of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, and so on. So, I, I mean, our, I don't know. You know, I can't say to you what it will take, but I'm just I'm hoping there's some calm reflection uh, and looking holistically uh, at the document uh, as a whole um, might be helpful in terms of moving things forward. Thank you. Um, here in the middle. Thanks. John Peter from The Economist. Um, uh, most of what you've been saying on this topic has been concerning the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic. But one implication of what was being talked about yesterday was that there might be regulatory divergence between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, um, for instance, in agricultural products. 
a consequence of that, one assumes, would be controls in the Irish Sea between Great Britain and Ireland. Um, shouldn't you be more worried about the possibility of a border in the Irish Sea, given that more of your trade goes across the Irish Sea than the north-south? Yeah, well, I mean, that's... I mean, I mean, the Taoiseach made that clear yesterday, and, and, and so did Minister Coveney, is that, you know, the Irish government has never suggested, you know, that there should be a, a, border, a, border, a border in the Irish Sea, and, and as you say, I mean, for... That wouldn't, that wouldn't be, in terms of our wider economic interests, that wouldn't be particularly uh, uh, helpful for us either in terms of that 65 billion trade in goods and services. Um, I mean, we've, we're, in, we're, I think overall Irish exports to Britain, I think when we joined the Euro European community, were something like 50%. Uh, it's now down to 17% uh, in global terms. But if you look at particular sectors, uh, agri-food, for example, is still hugely dependent uh, on, I think, 34% of agri-food exports from Ireland still come, come to Britain. And I think it might be even something like 40% in terms of beef. Um, and I think, uh, and even higher again in terms of, uh, in terms of cheddar, uh, for example. So, um, uh, on some sectors will, you know, in terms of access to the British market remains hugely, uh, hugely uh, important. Um, I think. I mean, I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a customs expert. Uh, but I think one of the things I think is that if we reduce this question to, you know, that it's that it's that it is only a binary choice between you know border on the island of order, uh, on the island of Ireland or or, or or border in the Irish Sea, I think it's it's very. It'd be very difficult to 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 find a way through here. Um, and I think the fact of the matter is that you know. Uh, working the, the, the detailed modalities that will deliver the outcome we want, which is no hard border, I mean, that will, the detail of that, we'll only get down to the detail of that in phase two. Um, and that's where we want, we want to be. Uh, but we want to be there on the basis of confidence and assurance that there won't be a hard border on the island of Ireland. Uh, and I think you know, that's, what, that's what we need to have. There, need, there needs to be confidence and assurance that there won't be a hard border. And then, with, with, with the flexibility and imagination that everybody professed that they'll, that, they'll, that they'll bring to this task, I think then we can start looking at the, kind of the detailed modalities that will deliver the outcome that we want. And, and, and I don't think it can, it can be one or other. Okay, so loads of hands, more and more going up here on the aisle. And then, uh, if you, excuse me, could you speak into the microphone? And then in the, in the doorway, I will come to you next. Member of the House of Lords. Um, I think an awful lot of people in this country will have a lot of sympathy with the Irish government over this. Why ever should the Irish people pay the price of Brexit uh, by having a border across their island? And to answer James Landau's question, why ever should anybody expect the Irish government, which is a sovereign government, to conduct a negotiation with a small political party uh, in another country? Um, so uh, I think that people, when they think about it, will realize that the Irish government has actually been extremely tolerant about a lot of these things. Um, is it not quite absurd that everybody knows that the best solution to the problem would be for us to remain in the customs area, that all the uh, economic uh, and industrial lobbies in this country, CBI, EF, and all the rest of them, all of them, um, want us to remain in the uh, common customs area? Um, and that um, if, in fact, uh, we did remain in the common customs area, um, the problem would be resolved. But the government, the government say that uh, they're tied by the referendum. Of course, their hands aren't tied by the referendum at all. There is no mention of a customs union 
in the referendum, and I can't actually remember any reference whatever to the customs union in the whole of the campaign. All right, thank you for that point, and raises the interesting question of what the Lords are going to do about this uh, customs union uh, quickly remaining in. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we, we, we've said, uh, I mean, again, the government has said kind of pretty clearly it, over the last few months or so that, you know, our, our, our preference would be in terms of that we, we certainly would, we'd, we, we would, um, uh, it would eliminate, obviously, the issue in terms of the border on the island and the island of Ireland if, if, if the United Kingdom decided to remain within the customs union and indeed the single market. Um, if it just decided to remain within the customs union, that would that would help. That wouldn't wholly eliminate the problem because obviously, in terms of single market, there still have to be regulatory checks and so on. So you don't obviate the need for all checks by by just staying in the customs union. You obviate the need for cust for customs, but not necessarily for other regulatory checks that are required. For example, in uh, sanitary and phytosanitary. Um, so I mean, the Irish government has said. I mean, you know, that would be our preference if if, if the UK government decided to change his mind and stay in the single market in the customs union, well then obviously we, we greatly welcome that. That would, that would obviate our problem. Um, but you know, that it doesn't look like that um, and, um, uh, and so on. And in those circumstances, then we have to find some other way of delivering the, the outcome that everybody, British government, Irish government, even DUP, we all share that, that, the, the, a, a common objective of avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland. Great. In the doorway. Thank you. Uh, Vincent Wood from BE Daily Express. Uh, wanted to ask quickly two things. First, uh, how confident is the Irish government that a deal will be brokered before the 14th of December deadline? And secondly, to alert you from, to some comments from Peter Bone, who said that the, um, uh, the papers were leaked to destabilise Theresa May um, by Irish officials, and I wanted to get your comments on that. Um, well, how, how confident am I? Well, I mean, I, 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 we're, we're certainly, we certainly, we believed, I think the government believed that there is certainly, the time is still there and available um, uh, for, for agreement to be reached and that, uh, you know, we're hoping that, that that time over the next few days will be, will be, will be used to full effect. Um, I think in reality that probably means the end, the end of this week because in terms of you know, EU timescales, in terms of the necessary preparations for the European Council bringing forward draft conclusions and, and all of that, uh, if it goes beyond this weekend, it, it, we, we, we may, may run out of time. So um, I'm, you know, we're confident that, that, that the time and the opportunity is there uh, to be availed of if, if people wish to avail of it. But, uh, in, uh, you know, in the first instance, at least, I suppose it's now up to the British government to, you know, uh, to do whatever necessary consultations it needs to do, and then come back to the European Commission uh, and, uh, you know, indicate, uh, you know, where it sees there is scope for movement uh, or progress. And obviously, the Irish government will respond as positively as we can to uh, whatever uh, news is brought in that regard. Um, in relation to the second question, I, I don't really want to comment on, on, on detail. I just simply, you know, make the point that, uh, uh, you know, I think documents 
you know, being leaked in, in, in Brussels uh, is not exactly an unprecedented development. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think, you know, lots of, uh, I think, Bronwyn, you actually, you were in Brussels for a while, weren't you? Uh, and at some well, stage in, in, your, in your distinguished career. Um, and, you know... With what implication? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but I simply point out, I think, that good journalists in, in Brussels have, uh, have multiple sources. Uh, and uh, and I, it's, I think it's very unsafe to be making assumptions about what, what sources, uh, you know, uh, they get their, their, their information from. So. Thank you. Uh, in the, behind it in the black and white top. Hello. <coughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Melanie Phelan, and uh, I have been a community responder to Grenfell Tower uh, and have been working in the community ever since. Uh, hello, Ambassador. Hello there. Um, so my question uh, maybe is actually, I think, fairly uh, simple. And it, came, it, it was whilst I was watching 10 o'clock news last night, uh, I thought to myself, as I'm sure everyone else did, surely uh, the British government and the DUP had uh, agreed on the wording of the document before Theresa May went into the meeting. Surely that would have happened, and surely it would have been signed off. And if so, uh, uh, why has that not been released? And if not... Why not? Surely that's that's something that should have been done, um, and it shouldn't. It wouldn't have just been, for example, a, a gentleman's agreement, as it were. So I'm sorry if that's already been answered, but that's. Thank you very much. What I think everybody wants to know, really. Thank you. Thanks, Melanie. I think I've, I think I have. I, I don't really more. I don't have anything more to say to it. I mean, except that, uh, you know, I would say that in, in negotiations of this type involving involving governments uh, and. Uh, you know, and, and particularly of a very sensitive nature like this, you know, I think in all systems there would be a great reticence about, you know, how uh, how forthcoming, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the key negotiators would be in terms of sharing texts and documents and so forth. But I mean, as I say, that's it, I mean, the British only the British government can answer that question. Thanks. All right. Um, on on the aisle towards the back. Uh, yes, Bjarne Nørum, Christadabla, Denmark. Um, I just wonder if you could say some words on Ambassador. How, how was the level of surprise in, in, in Dublin yesterday when, <laughs> when you heard that uh, the UP was managed to, uh, to pull the emergency brake and uh, perhaps uh, describe the, uh, the reaction in less diplomatic words? <laughs> Request for a number and yes. a, an exclamation. Well, I I can add the word disappointment to surprise, because <laughs> <laughs> I think both were used. Um, uh, yeah, look again. I mean, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't in the room, obviously, uh, uh, and so forth. But um, you know, I mean, there was there was an expected choreography, obviously, uh, and people. And in in the scheme of these things, people expected the choreography to be rolled out over the course of the day. Uh, and uh, and all of that. So I mean, the Irish government had been making its 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 arrangements for that choreography, when you know word, word came through that basically no, it's 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 not it's not going it's not going to happen today and uh, etc. So I mean, the government was under under pressure to have to to have to to have to say something. A cabinet meeting had been called that morning and so forth. There was a lot of media interest therefore in 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 in, in what was happening. So. You know, the, the Taoiseach was under pressure to 
basically come out and explain explain what had happened. So. Thank you. Here in the front. <coughs> A quick question. Uh, about uh, could you say who you are, yeah, please? Sorry, I'm John Rutter from the Institute for Government. Thank you. Quick, uh, quick question uh, about uh, about the sort of guidelines that we thought we might see yesterday. Donald Tusk said he was on the point of releasing the European the guidelines for phase two, which means that the 27 have come to some agreement about what they're going to potentially offer the UK on a trading relationship. I just wonder, given that Ireland so clearly would be a massive loser if we ended up with a Canada-style deal. But given that Michel Barnier poses this as a binary choice, you either do Norway or you do Canada, not much in between. I just wonder to what extent the UK might be able to look to Ireland to be advocating more flexibility to do something that allows us to come much nearer to the single market. For example, one of the things that David Cameron didn't get, which made his... Uh, his uh, referendum quite difficult to win was on freedom of movement. Are the Irish going to be offering the UK government any assistance within the 27 on some further flexibility to allow us to stay close to the single market? Help us get to the middle ground. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think we have to be um, uh, an important part of, I mean, again, we are on the EU side of the table. I mean, we're on the EU 27 side of the table. That's, that's where we are in this negotiation. Uh, we have benefited hugely thus far from support and solidarity of the EU 27 in terms of our, uh, of, 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 of our key uh, negotiating interests uh, and objectives um, uh, and so forth. So, uh, you know, it's incumbent upon us as well to, to also demonstrate that, that, that solidarity as part of, of, the, of, the, of the EU 27. Um, um, but as I said, uh, in, 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 in overall general terms, uh, it, it will be you know, uh, our interests, uh, we will share a fair amount of, this, of the same objectives uh, as the UK in terms of trying to achieve you know, the closest possible uh, economic partnership uh, with the, uh, between the UK and the European Union. So uh, we, will, we, will, we will come to the table on the, on the EU side of the table with that, with that perspective. Um, and, uh, and, and seek to be as helpful as we can. We're really, sadly, going to have to draw it to a close then. I'm sorry, there's a cluster of hands uh, up here and uh, we just couldn't get, uh, get round them all. Um, thank you for terrific questions. At least I'm thanking you, Adrian uh, O'Neill, may not uh, so much, but uh, Ambassador, thank you very much indeed for speaking to us so uh, openly at such length and giving us the flavour uh, of these negotiations and uh, to be continued, I hope. But thank you very much indeed. Thank Coming you. Here today.